Hello everyone, welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm Pete, that's Paul. Uh, today we're going to be going through the top films of 2014 in what we're going to be dubbing a kind of six of the best, but or... Twelve of the best. Well, yeah, kind of twelve of the best, because we've got two six of the best lists, one for each of the two of us, and putting those together, I think we've come up with a collection of a dozen really worthwhile films of the last twelve months that people might want to check out that haven't had the chance. Because there are a few ways I think you can go with end-of-year lists... We've seen things from the sight and sound list that I think leans towards being slightly pretentious and Only exclusive. Ever so slightly pretentious. Ever so slightly yes. at, ever so slightly at, at times. Um, a, a lot of those films seem to be maybe things that we haven't even seen yet. Things that people don't have access to because they've all been at festival screenings and whatnot. Then you've got much more mainstream lists that often quite possibly predictable might be the, the word to use. Almost, almost too far the other side of pretentious. Right. So we've tried to balance those things and come up with six of the best films of 2014 individually, but then we've got two lists, one for each of us, as I say, without crossover, right, Paul? Yes, we didn't want to cross over because we didn't want to. We didn't want you guys to have to listen to us both talk about the same films. Also, it's we don't want to listen to each other talk about the same films all the time either. There are some films that would have featured on both of our lists. Uh, however, take this list of twelve as a strangers in a cinema twelve best films of the year. I think is the way to look yeah. at it, rather than an individual kind of six each. Although there are some obviously individual thoughts gone into that, I take it that way. Yeah, so we'd basically thrown together our list, top 10, top 6, whatever it might be, whittled it down and then just made sure that we took out things that the other person had included so yeah. that they're kind of original lists as they stand. Of course there are things that we haven't included on our list which are worth attention and maybe at the end we can just run through a couple of films that we also think maybe just missed the cut. And if there's things we haven't seen or haven't mentioned that you think we should have watched or perhaps should have mentioned them by all means let us know. We can't get to everything, we haven't seen everything uh, but we try and see as much as we can. So on that note, uh, without further ado, let's lead into this countdown. So what we're going to do is film at a time, I'll start at six, Paul will start at six, and we'll work our way all the way up to our individual number ones, and as I say, then mention a couple that just missed the, uh, the cut here. At number six for me, then, is a film that came out a long time ago, it feels like, in the early part of 2014, the first couple of months. Mm. I was very excited about it for a long time, and it was worth the wait. That is Jim Jarmusch's film, Only Lovers Left Alive. Uh, Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton here at sort of front and centre. I know you've seen this one as well. Mm. Um, it looks beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a kind of character all of its own. It doesn't look like anything else that I've seen this year. And it doesn't really behave like anything else I've seen this year because Jarmusch is prepared to just give time a long time to certain shots in the film, to certain setups, to creating mood and creating feeling. It's a very ponderous film. But, it is. But that, that works in its favour it, rather than against it. Then that's, a, that's a great choice of word. I think it's a ponderous film and that's an adjective that you'd almost exclusively um, assign to something negative. It would have a negative connotation. Mm. And I think uh, Jim Jarmusch's greatest triumph, maybe with Only Lovers Left Alive, is that it's ponderous in a kind of positive way. And it really makes you contemplate the themes at work rather than getting hung up in the usual um, bells and whistles of vampire films that we've seen, you know, huge... Well, it's, it's a very different movies. vampire film, I think. And it's it's a novel take on a genre that at the moment is just over over bloated with yeah, entries, saturated with unnecessary kind of twilight rip-offs and twilight itself and there's a place for those things and we don't want to 
you know sit here and, and denigrate people who like other kinds of films but if you're interested in the in the almost the philosophy of the idea of well, it, of it deals with more about the concept of someone that has lived for thousands and thousands of years for example it's very subtle nods like tom hiddleston's character is a fantastic guitarist for example but he would, of course, he would be, yeah, because he's had all this time to practice, all of this time, to right? Practice. And it makes you think, what would you do if you had all that time? Which skills would you work on perfecting, and how far would you get if you just had a limitless amount of time to to throw into those activities? You know, imagine how good we could get at podcasting about films if we had, you know, ten thousand days on Earth to <laughs> to perfect those skills. Um, yeah, only lovers left alive in summary, then really really striking memorable filmmaking not for everybody in the sense that I know that people will lose patience with this there'll be people who'll get halfway through and just think it's not for me I can't stick around to the end however I I really would encourage anybody who missed it this year and has even a passing interest in what it is that we're describing to check out and also for those people who have an interest in kind of like vampire mythology it's just a very different different take on it from a film perspective and Mia Wasichowski crops up in the middle of it as well which is always a treat because I think she's pretty great in, in most mm. things um, what do you have at number six I have weirdly enough you mentioned spending 10,000 days on earth well in fact Nick Cave apparently has spent 20,000 days on earth yeah actually thinking about that comment as I made it I realised 10,000 days on earth isn't actually that long no. is it so yeah scratch that <laughs> yeah, and Nick, on, Cave, like, Nick Cave spent 20,000 days on earth so which is um, a documentary by director Ian Forsyth about um, musician Nick Cave. Now, what struck me with this film is just how candid an insight it is into his life and just how open he is on the camera. I've seen these kind of documentaries before and yes, they can be interesting, but this one in particular, he just it just lays everything bare, absolutely. And just the impact that then this has on the live performances that follow some of the candid interviews and sort of follow his life just makes already fantastic live performances even more powerful now i have occasionally encountered nick cave's music a friend of mine's very into nick cave and liked what i've heard on the basis of this i really want to listen to more the guy is he's a very very fascinating guy he's, he's very sort of a, a singular figure is he nick cave because he's a guy who seems almost unknowable and unknown and i think and i'm yet to see Twenty Thousand days on earth but the, the impression that i get from what you've said and what i've heard is that at the end of the film, maybe you know a lot about Nick Cave, mm. but maybe you still don't really know the man. It's because bizarre, because he's kind of he's, he strikes a, a kind of mysterious figure in the public eye, despite having a number of high-profile friends. There's an interesting chat he has with Kylie Minogue in the back of a taxi, for example. That's Kylie Minogue's in a Nick Cave film, but of course, both being Australian, transpires they know each other quite well, mm. and that adds another element to his character. But yes, he is renowned for being this mysterious kind of dark individual and yes some of his music is quite dark but the film although it opens him up as a person he's still got that air of cool and kind of mystery about and him that was there in the well, first place he's got some modicum of creative control here hasn't he because this is not entirely a work of non-fiction the the Twenty Thousand days on earth is a is a structured and sort of semi-fictional documentary yeah. as i yeah. understand it so as much as it is charting the life of the rock musician nick Nick Cave yeah. it's sort of the idea of the rock musician of Nick Cave rather than the day to day yeah so there is he's a, he's still hold yeah you would have thought then on that basis yes that's yeah he is still holding something back but no um, and I think actually anyone would find this engaging whether you like his music or whether you're interested in music if you're mm. interested in people essentially I think that you will take something from 20,000 Days on Earth mm. 
in one of the days that he spent on Earth, I actually met him at Butlins in Minehead. Did you? Yeah, for a brief second, and I was so scared by his presence. Sorry, his the, way I, the way I said did you sounded that I was disinterested. What I meant to say <laughs> is, that's quite cool, you met Nick Cave, where I just went, oh, did you? Did What's you? next on the list? <laughs> Yeah, um, he was a pretty intimidating figure when I had the chance to meet him, which left me pretty much speech speechless, and I don't think I said anything that was coherent to him. Um, but yeah, great experience, and I look forward to checking out 20,000 Days on Earth yeah, as no, soon as I can. Very good film. At number five for me, then, is a film that I did talk about on an early episode of the show. This one is called The One I Love, and I feel from my list of six, this is maybe the one that I want to champion the most as something that people may have missed because it didn't get... Uh, I don't think it got a mainstream cinema release here. No, I don't think it did. Um, I know that it's available. There are places you can see it online. I think it's on some streaming services at the moment. It's on Netflix of some description. So I keep, yeah. I keep perhaps poorly, and you'll probably put me around on this, looking past it going, oh, I'll watch that at some point. Yeah, again, whether it's... M- too niche for a sort of wider audience I don't know but this is um, directed by a guy called Charlie McDowell I believe it's his featured debut I may be wrong about that but I think it possibly so possibly second film Um, it stars Mark Duplass and it stars Elizabeth Moss so is it Mumblecore-esque I don't really only only say that because Duplass has come up I haven't seen it but yeah I, I I understand the appeal of this Mumblecore label I don't think it really has that much meaning um, I think there are a couple of films that you could level with, you know, the criticism that the characters mumble or that it's mm. kind of shoegazy filmmaking. This thing, though, I don't think so. It's it's bright. It's kind of sassy. It's uh, sharply written, and it's a very interesting exploration of relationships, young love, commitment, and what it is to be half of a couple. Because the film is concerned, uh, or most concerned, with the roles that we play in a relationship. What's the gap between who I am and who I show myself to be to the person that I'm with? And it's very easy to say, of course, those are one and the same thing. But I think with any amount of you know, exploration of yourself or another person, you realise that that simply isn't the case. Mm. And there's something that you want your partner to be that they could never possibly be, or not consistently, not when you're, you know, needing to wash the dishes and clean the house yeah. and, and so on. And there are moments in this that just were so striking and, and poignant to me, having been in relationships and it, being in a relationship at the moment. And this is filmmaking that I think is important. And like earlier on, when we were preparing for the episode, we were watching a number of trailers that were some great films really exciting films that are coming out next year in 2015 although to my mind so many of the things that are trumpeted at the cinema are ginormous effects laden you know show-stopping cinema and that stuff's great and i love that stuff and i'm so glad that it exists but a film that's basically a two-hander based around two people having conversations that are interesting and engaging i think there's space for that as well i don't mean things like um uh, before midnight recently you know similar kind of is it similar in vain to kind of yeah, some, some yeah. If, if you enjoy a couple talking about issues and some jokes yeah then yeah get get, get on board i'll check it out then. um my number five is a film that came out earlier in the year i've only actually watched it in the last couple of days strangely enough but this is um wes anderson's latest effort the grand budapest hotel now 
I have to say, at times I blow hot and cold with Wes Anderson because he can be style over substance at times and can almost be a little bit too kooky. Mm. And I have to say that I didn't think I did, based on the trailer, I did not think I'd enjoy Grand Fest Budapest Hotel at all. It's it takes like affectation to the kind of yeah. degree when you yeah particularly the trailer as you say which yeah. was running a, a while ago. Um, how wrong I was! I was pleased to be proved wrong in this case. It is probably for me one of the most beautiful films of the year, uh, and I that include Interstellar in that statement. It's in many ways as beautiful as Interstellar for many for different reasons. It's just a breath of fresh air. It's a little bit different. The story nips. The story is kind of lightweight, kind of caper where someone gets falsely accused of a crime they didn't commit and then there's an art thief, there's an art heist and it's a lot of fun and it, it nips along at a pace. It's genuinely funny throughout. Ray finds, Ralph finds, uh, depending on how you pronounce his name, but it's Ralph, um, is charming and actually on, on good form. Um, Bill Murray obviously crops up. That's always a pleasure yeah. to watch. But I think just basically for the visuals, it's just... It just grabs you and hooks you in, and the the use of aspect ratio and most mm. a lot of it is in four by three, and which is really unusual in and of itself. Which, which is, is unusual in in, in 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 and of itself. Uh, but there's something about it that just you, once you start watching the film, you can't imagine it in anything other than four three because just the way he uses it, it's hard to describe, but it just centers your vision and it just works really really well. Probably yeah. the best use of mixed aspect ratio since I would say. Scott Pilgrim played around with aspect ratios, probably in a similar way. But. Yeah, and he's got such control of the frame at mm. all times. Like Wes Anderson films are immaculately put together. I mean, whether you love or loathe his work, you can't deny that. A bit like I said about Only Lovers Left Alive being something that just doesn't look like anything else that mm. came out in the year. I think the same can be said of Grand Budapest Hotel. That yeah, yeah you watch visually a couple of seconds yeah. of that movie, and it's a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, and you know, t take him or leave him, but he's made a mark, and he's made something that's very much his own. The same, I would recommend um, Moonrise Kingdom, which was his previous mm. feature. The same sense of kind of light, fluffy, quirky plot, but just some beautifully composed shots and, yeah. and lovely storytelling. So I'm like you, I think, to a greater or, or lesser degree, in that I'm. I wouldn't necessarily categorise myself as a Wes Anderson fan, so to speak. I mean, I love Bottle Rocket from ages ago, yeah, and I've liked things since, but I think I lean more towards like finding him more, a bit Like him or loathe him, he is an auteur, with, without a doubt. Yeah. We're up to number four. Now, number four for me is a film, again, that we've talked about in the podcast. Uh, actually, the very first podcast the thing that we did. We, we did a feature review of this film. It is Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin, indie thriller that came out, what, May? Probably some May, June mm. by the time. I think that's when we... Around, we've had kind of had a glut of sort of indie thrillers with like Cold in July, Out of the Furnace, those kind of stuff. Yeah. This I, year. And I, Blue Ruin by far the best. To, yeah, to my mind, this is the pick of the bunch. I mean, you can obviously go back to that episode that we did if you want a more in-depth discussion of Blue Ruin and exactly why you're missing out if you haven't seen it yet. But it's t taut, it's tense, it's in exciting. The central character is engaging. It's really dealing with this issue of if the person at the centre of your kind of action thriller is you or I and we have no idea how, be awesome. how to behave <laughs> in your mind you think I would make really cool decisions like in the movies I would do things <laughs> in a really slick way I would have you know, like throw away one liners when I kill the guy or whatever 
but in reality, you'd be like you'd be this guy. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be like pissing your pants and and not knowing how to you know take an arrow out of your leg, for mm. example, other than throwing a load of alcohol all over yeah. it and starting to cry. So, <laughs> Blue Ruin. Um, that makes it sound funny. It's not funny at all. It's bleak. Parts are quite funny though, but, but in a it's very very but, dark yeah. dark way. Yeah. Um, again, whatever whatever. Um, director, I've written down here. Uh, Jeremy Solnier, I hope I'm not butchering his name. Jeremy Solnier, whatever it is that he does next, I'm really excited for because mm. Blue Room was a revelation this year. It kind of came out of nowhere, I think, didn't it? And uh... yeah, absolutely. And and I want another one that was going to go onto the list, and maybe I'll come to it later. We talked about recently is the guest, and I mm. think I got a similar level of sort of just pure th- thrill out of seeing Blue Room as, mm. as I did the guest. Go ahead, Paul. What's number four? Which brings us to my number four. Um, again, pleasantly surprised. Was utterly convinced this would be a horrendous, horrendous, cynical money-making exercise, and yes, I suppose it is. But oh my God, isn't it entertaining? This would be the Lego Movie, directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, which just from start to finish, I watched the whole thing with a massive smile on my face. Mm. Just entertaining, very, very funny. Liam Neeson, good cop, bad cop. I don't think there's a better Liam Neeson performance out there. Just. Chris Pratt, I just, it's one of those films that's just so much fun and very, very clever. Will Arnett's Batman performance is just, again, hysterical. I'm gushing a little bit on this one, to be honest, but yeah, just but I, No, I, I, I endorse that. I endorse that. I watched it, I think, for the third time yesterday, last night. Um, we just got the, the Blu-ray edition of, uh, of the Lego movie and it's deliriously good fun. I mean, mm. it's just packed full of so many references, lines, things. So that, many things that you miss the first time. You might even miss the second time, mm. and then you pick up on later. And I don't know. Um, I wanted to get your take on this because something happens, and I think at this point, if you haven't seen the Lego Movie, it's kind of your own fault. Something happens at the end of the film where there's a shift in the style, let's say, of of the film. Do Do you think it worked when it happened? No. Mm-hmm. By the end, yes. Yeah, because so it it drifts it drifts towards the end into a brief live action segment, right. um, which is bizarre and doesn't feel like it initially. Certainly, I was just like, oh, oh, they might have really bollocks this up. Mm-hmm. I don't think they did though. And and of course, there's that thing if if you overthink films in the way that I do, where you might feel a bit like you get to the end of the film and the message of the film is sort of trying to have have its cake and eat it because it's this indictment of of business. Well, I actually thought the, the film in itself, in some ways, was almost an indictment of the direction that Lego's taken with its corporate film cashings and that kind of thing. So I think it was perhaps even taking a bit of a gamble with Lego's reputation in a way. Yeah, but then a gamble that can only really pay off, pay off yeah. because the filmmaking is of such a high standard that we can all laugh at the jokes and laugh mm. at you know the the joke about thirty seven dollar cups of coffee and that everybody yeah. being happy about everything that's being shoved down their throats. But then at the end of the day, you essentially just watch an hour and a half film that was produced for a mass market. I'd and be was shoved intrigued. Down your what, throat. I, what I would be intrigued though is to watch it with children because I don't think there's actually apart from the bright colours and it being Lego. I don't think there's a lot in there. A lot would fly just over your head if you're a, a lot a kid would fly over your head as a kid. Yeah. More so and more so than even in your kind of. More so than even in something like The Incredibles, which, again, there's a lot of adult humour in The Incredibles. Um, I think even more than that, I think a lot of the Lego movies fly over kids' heads. But that's fine for me, because I would happily re-watch it ad infinitum. Yeah, and what, just, what a fantastic surprise this year, really, as you uh, said. Yeah, uh, massively, massively. I'd avoided watching it, kind of gone, oh, I'm not watching the Lego movie, I do a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm better um, than this. Yes, essentially, yes. Uh, and I wasn't, so no. over to you. 
Number three, oh, we're getting into some really great territory now. I mean, we haven't, as I think we probably said earlier on, these films are not necessarily in an order, but when I wrote them down on paper, I may have may have ended up writing mm. something of a hierarchy here. But anyway, we get to number three, and that is Snowpiercer. And this 100% would have been on both of our lists, without a doubt. Snowpiercer is directed by Bong Joon-ho, who uh, people will know if they have followed Korean filmmaking in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, he was the guy who directed The Host, which became the biggest uh, box office film in South Asia at the time um, and did really well worldwide as well as mm. had crossover but nothing like the crossover appeal of this thing because we have English language predominantly English language with some Korean language sections in there as well uh, we also have Captain America at the centre of it Chris Evans uh, we have old boy himself kind of playing against type a little bit um, we have a train that is charging at high speed through an icy future dystopia. Well, through an ice age, isn't it, I think? Yeah. And on board this train, there is essentially a microcosm setup of society with the poorest at the back of the train, the wealthiest at the front of the train, steering the train, guiding the train, or whatever control you might have on a train that's on tracks that just goes around and around the world. And the basic arc of the plot is that the people at the back of the train want to attempt an overthrow of the powers that be at the front of the train but let's not get caught up in all that stuff too much the point is this is one of the finest korean directors living directing a fantastic cast of actors tilda swinton's in this one as well yeah. in an amazing amazing, amazing role that you just have yeah. to see and there is just so much to love there's just so much terrifically designed action there's things that like you got in the first raid film where you just sit back and think i'm completely trust what you're doing bring it on this I think is actually phenomenal it's, it's i think we, we, we may have i may have said this in the podcast earlier in the year when we talked about it but i think it almost perfectly blends art house and sort of western action cinema i think it, it just strikes the balance almost perfectly yeah and creates a thoroughly entertaining but at the same time very intelligent film yeah, I could go back to it again and again, and I'm sure I will do in the um, future. And just to note, I don't think it is yet even officially out over here, but you can buy it on Amazon on a Region 2 DVD release and a Region B Blu-ray release. And I would, if you haven't seen it, which is uh, it's likely you haven't seen it yet, um, I would strongly suggest ordering it from, yeah, from the, Amazon or other internet retailers. It probably goes without saying, but the reason that you'll see Snowpiercer crop up, at least in honourable mentions, on lists all over the internet rounding up 2014... Because it should have been out by it's, now. It's that good. Yeah, it's that good that people have seen it by hook or by crook. They've had, found a way to see this thing. When you can do that, check it out, because it is phenomenal. Yeah. Paul, number two for you. Three. Three for you. Three Sorry, I've jumped ahead. Which, going from going from um, a little known sci-fi film to um, one of the year's biggest hitters um, Guardians of the Galaxy directed by James Gunn what again just much like the Lego movie just a whole lot of fun mm -hmm. um, big budget sci-fi looks fantastic based on a comic that I've never read or even heard of beforehand and I think a lot of people can state that so it was a gamble for Marvel to go with these characters a gamble for Marvel to go with a director such as James Gunn, mm -hmm. decent director, I think did some earlier work with, with the Troma studio and then went on to do uh, Super, or Slither, and then Super, I think, was, was his output. So yeah, kind of which, like are, a which are a lot of fun, but mm. smaller movies by a Yeah, and quite, quite dark, for quite yeah. dark movies, for especially for, for Marvel to approach him. 
and I just think he was a fantastic choice of director. There are there's some kooky humour in there that's very offbeat, but mm. Chris Pratt delivers it well. All of the cast are on great form. Fantastic space opera. Star Wars esque, kind of like the best bits of Star Wars. I think probably probably a better Star Wars film than the three prequels put together. Yeah, well, and certainly not taking itself so like leadenly seriously. That no, time. and I think that 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 helps it massively. I think. Because, and I think maybe we differ on this point because I might be more critical about the first things that I mentioned. But for me, like the last, I want to say a few years, but it's not a few years now. It's a long time when we've seen the rollout of all of these Marvel and DC properties, one after the other after the other, and more sequels and all this hype and hype and hype, I feel like it, it's not fun anymore. Like when I've, okay, I liked this year Captain America, mm. the, the Winter Soldier, to a decent degree. I like that film. There were some great stuff in it. George St. Pierre's in it. That's enough for me. But a lot of those films, maybe excluding Captain America, I kind of go... And there are great set pieces, and there's some good action. But you know, you know what's coming. It's a trudge, and you, you, I think you know what to, you know what to expect with the sequels. Yes, they've been good. At some point, Marvel are going to come unstuck, possibly with Leighton redirecting Ant Man, mm -hmm. but well, that remains to be seen. But Guardians, it was refreshing to see new characters on the screen, especially characters. Obviously, if you're familiar with the comics, obviously they're not new characters. But for the mo to the most people watching it, it was. It's quite refreshing to see a new and a new star. A star is born in Chris Pratt. I think. Yeah, and that and that element of just fun and like knock about fun for the sake of it. And I, you know, I haven't read the comics of all the comic book adaptations that mm. come out. I've never been a comic book guy. Like it's not that I'm against that stuff. It's just not something that had an impact really on my childhood. So I don't really mind if you're shitting on the origin story or if you're putting in a character who shouldn't be in a thing. You know, and that's just me. Maybe I'm, but. I, I feel like that's kind of the majority of people who go to these films who haven't read the comic books a lot of the time if they're well, going to get yeah. the market that they're getting now and how mainstream they are now and I'm just fed up of having like two hours of my life being led through a just predictable three act structure with the same kind of big stupid battle about the two thirds mark mm. and then a kind of let, drawn out conclusion so for saying all of this whingy stuff that I'm saying at the moment Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't that it was good no, fun. Absolutely. It, it zipped along at a pace. It had jokes. It had characters that you wanted to engage with. And, I want to see and, uh, them again. Also, a, a noteworthy performance from uh, Dave Bautista, the yeah, wrestler. Which, great. Yeah, a much really, better really performance from him than he gave in Man of the, with the Iron Fists. Yeah, and Zoe Saldana is like being used well in that thing as well because she's clearly somebody who I think can do great things in action movies if she's given the right roles. And mm. I think here she had another chance to do that. So, yeah, mm, thumbs up. Entirely recommended. It's Oh, here's a change of gears. Let's not have the chain fall off. It is, uh, my well, you did mention Star Wars. We did mention Star Wars. Yeah. My uh, number two pick is the Coen Brothers film, again from the earlier portion it's very early in the of this year. Yeah, yeah, it must have been January, I would say. Yeah, January, yeah. Um, but of course, with our list, we're going off things that came out. Oh, here. I think we're yeah. accurate in saying things that came out here, maybe yeah. not the American release. Um, yeah, this one is Inside Lewin Davis. I am, unlike with Wes Anderson, I'm a really big fan of the Coen Brothers. And when anything Coen Brothers is on the horizon, it's a reason for celebration. I, I would second that. This thing, I think, got a mixed response. But for me, it was almost an unrelenting pleasure from start to finish. It just had a kind of a warmth and a kind of joy um, in following a character who is narcissistic, who is self-involved, but is also hugely creative. Maybe this could be leveled at the Coen brothers as well. 
Um, and following him around the life of a musician who is basically sofa surfing and trying to make ends meet and is trying to find a way to be authentic and produce authentic material against the tide. But the great thing about Lewin Davis, I think, is that it doesn't naively tell that story. It doesn't tell that story as if it doesn't understand the folly and self-delusion of attempting to that be I, that guy in, in the circumstances that he's in. I would, I would in. completely agree with that notion. A lot of the time, films introduce us to these characters and they're kind of wishy-washy, artsy-fartsy, oh, look at me, I'm a creative, I'm really nice, mm. everyone wants to spend time with me. Actually, the, the, he's a bit of a prick. Mm. Not... In a bit of, he's a bit of a prick in the same way that we all are a little bit of a prick. And there is, as you say, there is certain self-delusion that comes with creating your own stuff. We create this show, for example, so we are potentially deluding ourselves into thinking that people actually want to listen to us. Uh, tens, tens of people want to listen well, exactly, to us. Well, exactly, but there's, there's an element of ego that goes into us going, we're going to talk to you about films. Um, and in the same way, that's what I think Lewin Davis does really, really well, is it, it highlights that kind of, not darker in a way but more realistic notion that you can be deluded and they're not not all artsy people are all like softly softly touchy touchy yeah. really nice people and i and i think there's an interesting comparison for me because a film that i was really looking forward to this year was uh, noah baumbach's film francis ha we were mm. talking about this briefly earlier on um francis ha has greta gerwig at its center mm. and again is about someone who is essentially drifting through life not unlike lewin davis drifting through life, trying to find their way, their path, uh, make ends meet. It's in a, a different setting and a different time. But I feel like a fundamental difference is that the director, well, quite literally in the case of uh, Noah Baumbach, but Noah Baumbach is sort of in love with the Greta Gerwig character. Mm. And so for all her flaky um, errors of judgment, she's always going to be forgiven because essentially she is a, a beautiful young woman mm. who's going to work it out in the end. Whereas... Lewin Davis isn't held in that esteem. So you'd say that Francis R. kind of falls into that trap of... I, I think it does a little bit. I think it does a little bit. And I think... Drifts that, into stereotype. But. And I think maybe I'm being a little bit hard on it. But yeah, it, as a counterpoint to Lewin Davis, mm. it's yeah a reason why I really stuck with that film and it, and and it stayed with Lewin me Davis, all year. Lewin Davis works. I would agree with yeah. you. I think I and haven't seen in, Francis R. We're in December now. And this is a film that came out, we think, in, in January. Mm. And it stayed with me on and off in my mind throughout the yeah, year elements, and I think that's I say elements to, of the film sort of pop into my head to being a really good film and, uh, the year as well. yeah yeah just a lot to praise about it I think which brings me to my number two and the people are going to go oh as if he's brought that up yes guys Interstellar is my number two I despite its faults and we've talked about those in some depth in a fairly recent podcast Interstellar so special check it the out Interstellar so special yeah so I will try not to labour too much on Interstellar I still loved it overall Nolan fully understands what it means to go to the cinema and to make film spectacle. Mm. Uh, it is, hands up, one of the most beautiful films I think I've ever seen on the big screen. Works so well in IMAX. Yeah, I bet, I mean, as you said, reference to the special that we did, there's like 50 minutes worth of us mm. pulling the thing apart without spoilers, although, you know, right now, if we commit some sort of spoilery thing, I don't think it really matters. I basically agree. I mean, I think there's incredible action stuff in Interstellar. There's some really um, spectacular moments. And again, moments that will stick with you. The, the uh, space shuttle countdown sequence in the truck, like yeah. that, fantastic. I'm not going to forget that a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are narrative issues. Yes, I don't think some of the characters necessarily work for me. But you'd rather live in a world that has Christopher Nolan in it. 
and that's mm. the bottom line. And if he, he he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't because he's trying he's adding brains to blockbusters, which I think should be applauded. But at the same time, in order to get the budget that he gets, he needs to make compromises. So therefore, the ideas don't always blend. The idea of making this kind of perfect art house blockbuster isn't necessarily achievable. Um, but I think Nolan. Nolan tries his best with what he's got and I think Interstellar for me the good massively outweighs the bad and I still would rate it very very highly yeah I, I would agree with you number one Paul number one film of 2014 you're number one of 2014 yes now we're talking about things that stick with you things that you can't forget things that will live long in the memory and for me of anything that came out this year I, I would I would go as far as to say head and shoulders above anything else that I've seen on this front of just something that will stay with you long and uh, long and hard in the mind. Under the skin. Under the skin is Jonathan Glazer's sci-fi, let's say art house sci-fi. Um, from horror, would you say? Possibly horror? Yeah, yeah, no, you certainly could be bracketed as a, a horror film as well. I mean, it's a quite a hard film to describe mm. in in some ways. Briefly, um, Scarlett Johansson's character is programmed to come to Earth and to interact with men, um, is basically the case. And she is the embodiment of a beautiful woman. She has that kind of voice that we know very very well from uh, her apart from anything else yeah. Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> voice can be a sexy character without Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> body you put the two together is pretty a powerful um, <laughs> powerful combination and it's a combination of elements that I think makes Under the Skin work so well it's the casting of Scarlett Johansson it's the incredible soundtrack the kind of scratchy squealy mm. soundtrack that feels somewhere between music and a sort of alien language the whole film I think has a very unpleasant atmosphere about it but mm. it adds something to and it. it's got yeah it's got that detachment which is obviously what Jonathan Glaze is going for because you've got alien eyes looking out at humanity and you are taken through large parts of the film feeling this weird kind of detachment from other people and the people around you if you look at them from her perspective do seem like the aliens where she is you know their, their counterpart if you will it's also got an ending that I've run over and over in my head and just <laughs> and just yeah it's just a work of beauty I think I mean we've talked about this before but under the skin do you feel as strongly as me about this thing I do I, I, I absolutely loved under the skin um, the, the thinking man species perhaps is <laughs> doesn't yeah, really, doesn't really do it a good enough service but no it, it was a fantastic film and yeah one of Jonathan Glaze has always for me has always been a great director but I think he's accomplished something quite even more special than his than his previous work I think with Under the Skin certainly certainly will stay with you mm. and certainly will give give people a lot to talk about yeah so yeah I think it's a it's a good choice so number one for you um, Richard Linklater's Boyhood quite possibly by A Country Mile it's just a sublime piece of cinema shot I think over 10 or 12 years with using the same cast um, over that time period as you watch essentially a boy grow to become a young man. Initially you go, well, that doesn't sound that interesting. Um, it, it is very, very interesting. The script is fantastic. It feels like growing up. Um, it yeah, I mean, this is 
I should be punishable by execution or something here because I'm going to hold my hands up and say this is my glaring omission this year. I haven't seen Boyhood. And it's now readily available to stream online as well. I think Netflix have got it at the at this point I think not so. I know it's out it's out to purchase oh, okay, in January yeah. it may be on it may be online I imagine it is probably online somewhere yeah I mean I've had ample opportunity and there's no good excuse but it's no just, good reason it's just the you know the the writing is is just so natural and the characters are so convincing you've been there in the scenes that you can see you will it will remind you of times when you grow up rather than doing this whole 10 years have now passed or yeah. three years have gone by you've just got little subtle the, nods the end of place beyond the pines and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. yeah so you've got li little subtle nods where the technology slowly changes maybe there's a slightly newer nintendo or they talk about ironically star wars there's a conversation where they talk about star wars should they make any more even before the prequel and you sit there and go i've had conversations like that i have and it kind of reminds you of certain moments of when you were growing up and I just think perhaps what started out as perhaps an interesting experiment of, of could this be achieved and could they do it? Ethan Hawke, Patricia Arquette, again, fantastic, both fantastic uh, when they're well directed. And I think it's probably Linklater's, Linklater's finest film mm. to date. And I even even possibly, it's certainly on a par with the before before series. Yeah, and I went back to revisit Waking Life recently and that stands mm. up. And so I'm, yeah, nothing but absolutely like thrilled that I've still got this one to come if there's anything that good that comes out of me the, dropping the ball so badly is the that, only good thing about you haven't seen it is you that you haven't seen it is that you've got it to watch yeah um it I think and it actually it's I've seen it at the top of an of a couple of other polls actually and I think it's well deserved it's up there for me yeah and I think it's kind of transcended as well we mentioned Sight and Sound before I think it topped their chart mm. and then you've seen much more mainstream lists which have also had Boyhood at number one so I mean that's a pretty glowing endorsement at both ends of that spectrum well I so think it's, it's quite nice because there was a, a, if a few people I've spoken to about it aren't necessarily into films and I said well you know you should definitely definitely watch Boyhood it's fantastic and rather than them coming out and the similar people have said oh I've seen Under the Skin not really sure what to make of it it was a bit weird was that real was that not but still both boyhood and under the skin it's still given people a talking point and these pe people who wouldn't normally in not normally into sort of slightly more alternative films boyhood obviously being english language so not as alternative as, as some films but certainly i think it's crossed over to the mainstream as well those who uh, wouldn't normally watch that kind of film that have watched it have certainly embraced it as well and i think that's just again a reflection on the strength of the writing and just the strength of the film as a whole Absolutely. So that runs down, or that completes, I should say, our rundown of six of the best each and 12 of the best in combination. Yeah. Uh, just to recap then, my list, I had Only Lovers Left Alive at six, uh, The One I Love at five, Blue Ruin at four, Snowpiercer at three, Inside Lewin Davis at two, and Under the Skin at number one. And I had 20,000 Days on Earth at number six, number five was The Grand Budapest Hotel, number four was The Lego Movie. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number two, Interstellar. And number one was, of course, Boyhood. Right, and I trailed it before we started the countdown. I think it's worth just throwing a few around. Things that could have been on the list. Things that narrowly missed. Uh, I've got a few films to throw away, because I think you've seen most of these, and just see how we feel. I was very close to including Locke. Now, my girlfriend would be enraged about this, because she as despised would, as Locke. As with my father. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, Tom Hardy in a car. If, those th if Tom Hardy or cars appeal to you... Um, yeah, then check out uh, Locke. Yeah, Locke I thought was, yeah, again, a fantastic film. Didn't quite make the list just because you have to stop somewhere and perhaps if I'd, see, perhaps if I'd seen it more recently, 
then maybe it would have if it felt in it felt a bit slight for me to get on this list mm. it, it's a really enjoyable film one i'd recommend but it felt maybe a, a, yeah a bit slight if that has any meaning i mean in comparison to the things that did make it also this is a tricky one wolf of wall street this year where did you stand on wolf of wall street was it miles away from your list or was it sort of top 10 but not top six i'd say it's probably top 20 not necessarily top ten. I really enjoyed Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I think by and large I did. But I don't think it's... It's, it's a weird one, and not that there's really... A, it's going to sound really tenuous to link these two things together, but what I was saying about the Lego movie, <laughs> the Lego movie and Wolf of Wall Street has something in common, which I think is the fact that the film essentially presents, if you're thinking about it, or even a little bit, an indictment, a huge indictment of the culture in which we currently live, in both the case of Wolf of Wall Street and the case of the Lego movie, but... I think in both cases, and in the Lego movie, there's a lot more like humour and fun and just good times, so I'll let it off a lot more easily. Whereas in Wolf of Wall Street, I think there's a lot of celebration of the thing that it also is ostensibly criticising. Um, and I think that's where there's a problem for me, because, yeah, as much as we can be talking about the excesses of just disgusting, like bankers just doing just horrific things and... And, and not really giving a shit about humanity, we're also going to sit there for a couple of hours and just revel in like snorting coke off hookers' tits and stuff. So you know, you you can't really have it. I both don't know. Ways. I think I think it actually just I think the Wolf Force just puts it out there and lets you make your own mind up rather yeah, than celebrating it. He, he positively revels in some of that stuff. I mean, look at the trailer for that. But it makes film. for it makes for comedy though. Yeah, yeah, it does. But is it comedy where we're going, oh, yes, that does make me think about the state that we're in? Or do you just go like, ah, comedy, you know, like like good times, if mm. I had money, I'd do the same. So like a talking point film, for sure. And I think that's one of the things that it really contributed to a debate this year about mm. where uh, Mike Scorsese's at, I guess. Um, the Babadook. I'm big on it. I like it a lot. It was close. I liked it. I'll be honest, when I watched it, I was very, very tired. Uh, <laughs> very tired. You sort of just have to be honest and say, um, yeah, I, I, I was knackered. I was knackered, so perhaps I didn't appreciate it in the way I should do. I liked element. I certainly liked elements of it, what I was not dozing for, mm. uh, I enjoyed. So I need to watch it again yeah. before I fairly judge the Babadook. Yeah. Lovely production design. Um, yeah. I recommend it to anyone interested in, in horror and mm. chillers and stuff in, in general. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but yeah, it looks looks lovely. Great design. Uh, what, are, what else have we got here? The Guest, surely. Would have oh, yes, that, that could be like a final one. To in fact, do. I might just cross out all six and just put The Guest. Yeah, just watch The Guest again. Forget the rest. Because enjoy The Guest, forget the rest. I love you, Tom. But uh, yeah, the guest, we probably like wax lyrical about it too much and we'll probably go back to it in a bit and realise it's not that great. But, but it didn't, it, it's it's a fun genre of his, a very fun so, genre of his. So much fun, mm. just so much fun. And like more fun than something like Blue Ruin in the sense that Blue Ruin has a lot more sort of squeamish, horrible, mm. feeling slightly gut sick, scared moments in it. Whereas the guest is just, you know, fun stuff with grenades and whatnot. So yeah uh, the guest has been like highly endorsed by strangers in the cinema at this point i think yes and as it should be and i'm sure we've forgotten a, a whole ton of other films if but we have forgotten films then contact yeah, us. us tell us how we got it all wrong i mean let's be fair lists at this point are clickbait at the best of times where people mm. just want to go on and go yeah you've forgotten this you guys are idiots so by all means put interstellar that. on nolan's rubbish yeah, do, do it, do it. Tell us, you know, which uh, Norwegian silent indie we missed this year that should have been number one, you know. And we haven't seen, before you come at us, we haven't seen Winter Sleep yet because we haven't managed to find it. 
yeah. yet to and, watch. And there's not enough CGI. So it may have made the list, but we haven't seen it yet. So I thought that may be thrown out. So we'll, we'll hit that one back straight away. Well, that's 2014 wrapped up uh, with a nice bow. So we want to look ahead to 2015 and see what is in the pipeline that could potentially make 2015 just as strong a year as, as 2014. Now, 2015 in terms of blockbusters, pretty pretty big. Certainly looks like it could be another another good year at the cinema. It looks that way. It goes without saying that we're very excited about Jurassic World. Obviously, having grown up with Jurassic Park, interesting choice of director in Colin Trevorrow. Trailer was proven to be a little bit divisive, but it's still a new Jurassic Park film with an interesting choice of director. With Chris Pratt on board, which is great. With Chris Pratt, who is fantastic. Me, obviously excited about Star Wars. Pete, possibly not so much. I, I know that I will see Star Wars. I can, I I can, will, go, I can be that bold. I will drag you Wars. kicking and screaming in to see Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Avengers 2, very excited about that. Age of Ultron. James Spader is the voice of the villain quite a cool trailer those films although we are excited about them aren't necessarily going to make our six of the best anticipated trailers or anticipated films anticipated trailers the best trailers that I hope are going to come out ahead of other films so we're going to talk about I mean they're they're still going to be cinema releases some of them might be bigger releases but perhaps talk about six of the best films that aren't getting quite as big a push as perhaps the behemoths yeah. Of 2015. Yeah. And, and this way, when these things work out or don't in 2015, you can look back on this episode and say, yeah, those guys told me so. Or, in fact, those guys got it completely wrong and that was a dreadful mess. So, yeah, we'll see where we go with this. Do you want to kick it off, Paul? What's your number three, I guess? We well, would say? I'm going to kick it off. I'd say these probably in no particular order because we don't know a great deal about them yet. I'm going to kick off with um, Alex Garland's directorial debut novelist and script writers we've done a lot of work with Daniel Boyle yeah wrote The Beach uh, um, wrote 28 Days Later I believe yeah he's done a lot of a bit of video game writing Sunshine in, Enslaved is the game I was talking about that Alex Garland wrote uh, okay, yeah he wrote Enslaved yeah was working on a script for the sadly cancelled Halo project but we won't go into Halo yes Ex Machina um, looks a little bit like The Machine actually which is a film I've talked about before mm. but with Dominic Gleeson and Oscar Isaac both of both of whom will be in the up-and-coming Star Wars film that's out next year that mm. we might have both mentioned. But essentially it seems to be a study of how human robots are becoming where these two scientists kind of build this build this female robot. Dominic Gleeson appears from the trailer that he would get possibly get over to this robot. What makes a robot human? Very cool from the looks of the trailer. Very cool. Very kind slick. Of, very slick yeah. sort of. A British effects movie that looks looks quite good, but mainly Alex Garland's directorial debut is the main reason I'm excited about that one. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether he can sort of emerge. Not from that he's obviously not a guy who's living in the shadows by any means; he's very well known. But if he can take control of a film um, head on mm. and sit, have success, uh, yeah, we'll be uh, tuned in for that one for sure. Number three, I guess for me again, not really in a particular order, but one that stuck out as something interesting and maybe a. A little bit um, of a left field pick but this one is a documentary called The Nightmare it's mainly interesting for two reasons the first one is that the director of this is Rodney Asher the name might not ring a bell but he was responsible for Room 237 or 237 uh, the Shining documentary yeah yeah which pulled apart some really crackpot 
slightly crazy theories about uh, Kubrick's The Shining, and then some quite interesting insights from. So um, yeah, some of the theories were interesting. Some of them, I think, were people with far too much time on their hands. Right, but, but the point is that the documentary great, itself, very well, really well put together, really dealt with the subject in a in a well structured and engaging way. Uh, this documentary, The Nightmare, is dealing with something completely different, which is the topic of sleep paralysis. And I wouldn't say necessarily I have a huge personal interest. I don't suffer sleep paralysis, which is, you know, I'm very, very thankful yeah. for that fact. But, um, for example, years ago, there was a, a record by a band called Dredge, and the, it was a concept record, and the whole record was about sleep paralysis. And before they made this record, they got uh, people to write in explaining what it was like to experience sleep paralysis and then all the lyrics in the album are based on those situations and the kind of terrifying feeling of being you know your mind's awake your body's asleep you can't move but you're conscious a really intriguing condition i think and to see someone as able um, as this guy take on that topic i think is exciting for me so hopefully it'll get some kind of a release this year if and when it does uh, yeah i'll be really keen on that thing fantastic the next one on my list, sticking with a weirdly, sticking with a robotic theme, is uh, Neil Blomkamp's next film, Chappie. Now, Neil Blomkamp's first film, District 9, was, I think, absolutely brilliant. Just hitting the nail on the head in terms of a great entertainment sci-fi action film. Elysium, not as good, but still with elements. I think Chappie looks great. It's just essentially, it's kind of like a, a rework. It seems a bit like a reworking of Short Circuit, the mm. 80s. The I'd say sort of classic 80s family film short circuit about the robot that kind of malfunctions, decides he's alive or is he. Just from the trailer, once again, as you'd expect from anything that Bloomcam works on, the effects look absolutely flawless. The character of the robot of Chappie itself looks like... it. To be, to be fair, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be crying at the end of the film just based on the trailer. It just looks like an emotional novel take on the kind of robot idea so it's similar in many ways i imagine to ex machina but it looks like a slightly different approach from it yeah and with the addition of ninja and yolandi visser who will both be familiar to fans of uh, zeph zeph style south african rap music which is an education to me yeah i mean they're a, a musical duo who've blown up on the internet over the last few years largely off the steam of youtube hits and, and whatnot and now they're playing huge live shows whether you like or loathe their music they're definitely interesting they work with some really interesting um, music video directors and they've got a big i'm sure a creative input on this thing but really kind of weird to see them in the trailer yes. for for such a big movie coming out in the next year so i'm excited for that for sure number two for me um for what it's worth is crimson peak the reason I'm excited about this one is it is the new directorial feature from Guillermo del Toro. When Guillermo del Toro is on form, Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone. Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. <laughs> uh, me, to anyway. name but two and a half. <laughs> um, I'm in. I'm fully in. 100% in. Um, add to that Jessica Chastain is the star. Add to that it looks kind of dark and gothic-y and Very creepy. Gothic, which is what he does, which Pacific right. Rim aside, yeah. it's a divisive film, but gothic is what Del Toro does best. Right, and so if it's, yeah, even a, a patch on either, either Devil's Backbone or, or Pan's Labyrinth, then it should be a real highlight this year. Excited. Yes. And the film possibly most excited about this year, although we know very, very little about it as ever with any of his work, um, is... Michael Haneke's next project, uh, or as you described earlier, the next Michael Haneke joint. He's dropping his next joint um, this year. Yeah. What's he got for us? Uh, unbearable suffering? Where's he going next? Well, Flash Mob, 
Okay. So um, just a bunch of people dancing in train stations. Well, all we know really about Flash Mob is that it's about social media in some way. It's mm. all the real hint that he's dropped. Whether there's dancing in train stations, I'm not convinced. But Michael Haneke, for me, is one of the greatest directors working today. And he rarely puts a foot wrong in terms of his films. And we can guarantee very little about this, but what I, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say that it's not going to be taking on social media and going, it's all fine, yeah. go about isn't, your business. Isn't it great? Carry on using it the way you're using it. I would imagine there'll be quite a fairly, maybe ever so slightly dark... Dark tinge on so, Some people think that Michael Haneke's films are just sort of a couple of hours of being told off, but I've, it's never really come <laughs> off that way. I mean, I, I get that criticism. It doesn't really come off that way to me, and I think he's a fantastically talented and, and, director. And also for me, where you know, where do you go from a more um, just a brutally powerful film, but it, again, a brilliant, brilliant film, so where does he go next? I possibly would say maybe he's peaked with a more. It'd be interesting to see whether he has or he hasn't, but Flash Mob, hopefully ready for this year. Mm, yeah absolutely number one for me then of this list and it might actually be the one that I'm looking forward to most uh, perhaps we'll see I guess Midnight Special this is Nichols' new film the guy who made terrific things like Take Shelter um, Michael Shannon who was the star of Take Shelter is on board again here which is great news for fans of, of either of those two people um, Adam Driver we've been talking about recently is mm. going to be all over the place in 2015 and he's in this thing alongside Kirsten Dunst the description as much as I have it of what we can expect from Midnight Special is a sci-fi chase movie that feels something like 80s John Carpenter so I mean, put all these things together yeah. great times more than enough to get your teeth into has that, has that brought us to the end of six you've got one more no that's that's six that that wraps up six of the best that wraps up six of the best films. I mean there are others aren't we? you mentioned a bunch of blockbusters well, before Mad Max the trailer for Mad Max looks fantastic yeah and I think that again Mad Max it's going to get pushed it's going to be a big film you're not you're not going to struggle to see anything Tom Hardy Charlize yeah. Theron are in that yeah. able hands obviously taking on the fantastic roles. looking trailer looks to be moving looks to be dealing with practical effects and stunts mm -hmm. and hopefully hopefully we can capture some of the magic that we last saw in Beyond Thunder no wait sorry in Mad Max 1 and 2 and then uh, we've got Jupiter Ascending which is the Wachowski siblings new uh, thing uh, this one is Mila Kunis is the chosen special one, maybe a bit uh, Lucy-esque. I don't know. I'm taking that from the trailer alone. The Wachowski siblings are an, an intriguing prospect, I think, to any of the Wachowskis, eyes. isn't it? It's the Wachowskis doing grandiose space opera, mm. and no, if the film if the film's a piece of shit, it doesn't matter because it's going to look it's going to look fantastic regardless. And noteworthy, it's the first original screenplay that they've produced since the Matrix trilogy, oh, okay. so that. I think should be a, a pretty decent endorsement. Although the studio doesn't seem to have much faith in it because it was meant to come out in the summer of 2014 mm. and has now been pushed back to, I think, January, February release. So it should be interesting to see how that one does. If it's more Matrix than Matrix 2 or 3, then great times. Yeah. I didn't want to forget to mention as well Inside Out, which is the new Pixar movie. There wasn't a Pixar movie in 2014, an original Pixar movie anyway. Anything that Pixar put together, I'm in. Um, this is from uh, Pete Doctor, I think his name is. Pete Doctor is the guy behind Up and behind Monsters, Inc. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, you're a very sort of snippy, picky, pretentious film critic if you claim that you don't have time for Pixar movies. Yeah. And I absolutely do, so I'm really excited about that. 
There's also something called Zed for Zachariah that I've heard a little bit about. This is from Craig Zobel, the guy who directed Compliance, which was an interesting little indie film uh, a couple of years ago now, so keen on that. Anything else we've missed? Uh, up Black Hat, Michael Mann. Yeah, saw the trailer today. Yeah. Not, I'm, I'm not 100% sold by the trailer, but it's a Michael Mann film. Mm. Uh, and it's Michael Mann, and I'll just say it's Michael Mann, it's Michael Mann, and I can't really say any more than that because I think, again, whatever he puts together is worthy of your attention. Miami Vice, maybe not Miami Vice, but certainly a very interesting and talented director. Yeah, but it's one of those things when you hear certain names attached to the year ahead, you think, well, you know, succeed or fail, I'm interested to see what happens. Succeed or fail, good or bad, I will be watching a Michael Mann film in the cinema. Oh, and there's about 14 films that have all got Jason Statham in them that are coming out, I think, in the next year. So we'll be tuning in for all those as well. Absolutely. Of course, Terminator, uh, Terminator Genesis with the SYS uh, spelling is yeah. coming out in this year. The last Terminator movie was absolutely dreadful. Is this it, one going to get any better, do you reckon? No, I don't think it will. I think they've tried to do something different with the trailer. Um, I think it's going to get far too clever for its own good and possibly trip itself up. I think Carl Reese is hugely miscast in the big piece of wood that is Jay Courtney, who I don't think I've seen good in anything. I, th- I, no. I, I don't know, because I think I fall somewhere between two posts, because I think looking at the trailer alone which isn't much to go on I think it'll probably be better than the last Terminator movie because I just I don't know maybe it's Christian Bale but I despise that movie just no I, the Salvation was, really, really Salvation dull. was bad but we'll, we shall see but an exciting year ahead in 2015 absolutely yeah and we'll be giving you obviously regular updates on the things that we see um, the things that we recommend the things that we don't like so much the things that we think that you should check out but that about wraps us up for today's countdowns, I think. And for 2014 in its entirety, I feel a little sad, single tear. Next uh, time you hear us, 2015. Two tears for me. Yeah. yeah. There's always, always a one-upper in the yeah. room, isn't there? <laughs> um, so, yeah, from me, Pete, and him, Paul, that is Strangers in a Cinema. And you can get in touch with us through the various means that Paul will now tell you all about. So the website strangeinthecinema.com is going to be undergoing some changes very soon, which we will inform you Exciting all about. Exciting changes. Exciting changes. That, so going into the new year, the website will be, will be changing, broadening slightly, uh, but we'll have more news on that. So that's strangeinthecinema.com. Obviously, Facebook, Strangers in the Cinema, or on Twitter, at Strangers Cinema. So um, yeah, if you think or, we've missed anything or... Yeah, and all the episodes of this podcast will post all over social media, but they are collected together along with the archived episodes at soundcloud.com slash Strangers Cinema. That's yeah. Strangers Cinema. So you can find them all there, download them, listen to them for free, recommend them to your friends, share them about as much as you can. Any support would be fantastic. Uh, until next year, it's goodbye from me, Pete. And goodbye from me, Paul.